Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and each week we try to give you some hints, tips and advice on how you can make lasting changes that will have a positive and long-term impact on the environment. On tonight's show, we're going to be looking at some upcycling as part of uh, our new initiative here. We're going to encourage you to do what you can with what you already have. Instead of going to the shops, because let's be honest with us, um, we're all feeling the pinch at the moment. So we'll be joined a little bit later on by an expert in the field who can help you upcycle your wares at home. First things first, though, we're going to be talking about the government and how the government has been doing. You might call it the government's report card on climate change. And I'm joined now by the chairperson of the Climate Council. That is the government agency that's tasked with reviewing what the government is doing and giving advice on all things climate change and Mary Donnelly is the chairperson of the Climate Change Advisory Council. Mary, you are very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much indeed, Ashley. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you. Mary, is it fair to describe this annual review as a report card? Uh, yes, you can certainly say that because uh, the Climate Change Advisory Council, our job is to... Uh, make recommendations to government on actions to deal with climate change. Uh, we make recommendations and we give advice. Our advice is based on science, so it's not a political position that we take. We, we do a scientific analysis. Uh, we look at where we are in terms of our emissions and we look at the progress that we're making in terms of reducing emissions. And each year then we produce an annual report, which is the one that we came out this week. Uh, and we do occasionally also write letters to the government to remind them of things that they should be doing. Now, I think it's fair to say in that there have been, regardless of which party it came from, there have been a lot of uh, announcements, policy changes, initiatives that have been muted over the past number of years. But from what I'm seeing in your report, it's the implementation of these ideas where we're really lacking. Yes, well, maybe just to put it into context. Uh, so Ireland has adopted legislation and have set ourselves the target of uh, you know, climate neutrality by 2050. That's a few years away. So what we've done is we said, OK, a midterm target of 51% reduction by 2030. And again, to, buy, to make it more bite-sized pieces, we have what we call five-year carbon budgets. So we, we're currently in the first five-year carbon budget. And we also have a carbon budget through to 2030. So the concern that we have raised today is that we are exceeding the carbon budget in the first cycle and potentially even in the second cycle. That means we will emit more emissions than the budget allows within the first two carbon cycles. Uh, So that's really the clarion call from our report. Now, having said that, I think, you know, you have to give credit as due, both to government and their initiatives, but also in Ireland, who are making an effort and who are beginning to bend the curve, as they say. Uh, you know, when we started all this process back, say, in 2018, 2019, uh, it didn't look as if we were going to achieve any emissions by 2030. The latest analysis has been done puts the emission reductions at about 30%. So we're not at 51, but we're looking at maybe 30. So if we, if we you know, tighten the screw, ratchet up the effort, 
you know, more urgency, deeper impact of our policies, we can get to 51. But it's going to be tough. So now I know the report that you've issued. It is a very lengthy and detailed document. So what for you are the key takeaways from it? So we've tried to limit the recommendations, but of course we already have uh, five sectors that have sectoral ceilings. So we have four to five recommendations for each sector. So it comes to about 25. So I suppose we have headline issues. One, we need um, new policies. We need to implement the existing policies and we have to do that much faster. Secondly, we have to remove obstacles. And, you know, some of this will mean we have to do something for the rollout of infrastructure and that brings planning into play. A third issue is we have a concern that whilst we have sexual ceilings for five sectors in place at the moment, we're missing one and it's an important one. It's the one for land and forestry. We need to have the complete circle of uh, sectoral ceilings in place. So we really need to get the sectoral ceiling for the land and the forestry and we need to get the action going in that space as soon as possible. Can can you explain to listeners, Mary, why that's an issue? Because there's been so much talk in recent years and I've like done it here on my show. Like we're we encur- we're encouraging people to um to to plant trees, to do their bit for the environment, to plant native species trees, but so they might be surprised to hear that there's an issue around forestry. Yes, so in Ireland over the last five, six, seven years, we've had a national target of 8,000 hectares a year. In reality, we have planted about 2,000 a year. So we have a significant shortfall in planting that needs to be addressed and addressed very quickly. Now, the government has brought forward a financial support. They're currently waiting for clearance for, uh, from Brussels for state aid. Uh, but we need to get those applications out. We need to get the forestry investments in place because, as you know, in its early years, the tree isn't really absorbing so many emissions. It needs to be 15, maybe 20 years old. And then it acts as a sink. It absorbs emissions from the atmosphere. So, you know, in order to get our overall balance down and to keep temperatures at a reasonable level, we need to stop emitting, so prevent the emissions coming out, for example, from fossil fuels. But we also need to suck up what emissions we can. Mm. And that's where the forests are hugely important. Because they are effectively the lungs of the nation. Ex- that's it, exactly. And, and, and another issue, I mean, obviously we need forests and we need the forestry industry to, and farmers to invest in forests. You're quite right, at an individual level, we need to do it as well. And also in our urban spaces, towns and cities, we need to think about more trees and bushes, if I could say, because we've all experienced, we've seen on television, the, the floods. I mean, one of the consequences yeah. of climate change is really, really heavy rain, you know, downpour for an hour on end or whatever with floods. We need to develop what's called, uh, what they call a sponge city so that it's not all hard landscape. It's not all tarmac and concrete footpaths and whatever. You need a space where water can go, not just into drains. But if you plant trees and shrubs and you have grass, that will absorb the rain when it comes down. So we need to think of that as well for our own benefit because we will be facing more floods going into the future.
I was talking to a man from just outside Mullingar there recently and he works in Dublin but he um, had been um, down in the Midlands uh, visiting relatives and straight away the hay fever that he didn't have any sign of during his day-to-day life in Dublin all of a sudden erupted the minute he felt he got out of the car in at the parents' house. And and it was a reminder for me of how uh, how concretized, which is not a real world, um, our urban centres have become. And I know in, in towns like Tullamore, like we see planters along the streets of, you know, around the Midlands, local authorities doing their bits. But it is a... a a significant concern in terms of flooding going forward that the more concrete we have the less places we have for the water to drain off into this, this is exactly it so we need to think about uh, you know I, I, when, when we want to park a car do you park it in concrete or do you go to some some sort of surface that will allow the water to soak through mm. uh, do we need more parks uh, you know, do we need more green spaces? And certainly, you know, I don't think anybody objects to trees because they're very beautiful and they provide shade. We haven't really had the heat, of course, of Europe, uh, the US and China. But, you know, we do get heat waves here in Ireland now, kind of a new phenomenon. So trees are very good for shade uh, as well as absorbing uh, the rain when it comes down like that. And, of course, remember, they're the lungs as well. They're cleaning the air for us. Do we, like from a planning perspective, because I know some developers would argue that they're being encouraged to build very dense housing developments and not leave room for ho- for green spaces. But, do you know, and I don't want to bring COVID into this, but you only have to look at the pandemic and like you would frequently at that stage have heard people talk about, God, I'd hate to be stuck in an apartment in the city centre during this. At least I have some greenery around me. I see, at least I have the local park or I have somewhere to go and just get a bit of fresh air. Like, should we have I kind of I would have hoped that lessons would have been learned from the pandemic about the importance of green spaces and how we should be planning them into any kind of development. 100% agree with you. Now of course, uh, you know, a denser construction and building of living entities the rationale and logic behind that is that you should be able to get the get access to the services that you, that you want. It might be the schools, the shop, uh, the grocery store, you know, the post office, whatever it might be, within 15 minutes mm. on a bicycle or walking. So it's quite compact, but you're absolutely right. It's not a concrete compact. We have to think about what we want there. We want people to be able to live in spaces where the air is clear, and that's why, you know, active transport is very important because then you won't have the pollution coming from fossil fuels and the particulate matters coming from fossil fuels. Uh, you have access to the services, you have the the capacity to have a community and the green space is hugely important in that sense. You have a nice presented green space where kids can play or people can go and read their book or people can just go for a walk and maybe look at nice nice flowers. That becomes a centre of a community and that's hugely important as we go forward. And it just it improves everything from a climate change perspective, from a mental health perspective. Like it does seem like a win-win, but maybe we're a bit too slow on the uptake. So then I wonder, Mary, like you've brought out this extensive review. It's your annual review. You do it each year, as it says in the tin. Are there any consequences of the report or is it just a reminder to the government that more work needs to be done? Like I know there will be people listening who... I'd forgive them for being a bit cynical who think, yeah, this is all great, but it's not like it's not necessarily going to achieve anything. 
Well, um, I, I, I'm more optimistic <laughs> than that. For, firstly, um, you know, when we point out something that's missing, it's not a comfortable position for any government. So, of course, there's a level of embarrassment there. And don't forget that the sectoral ceilings that have been set, uh, the Joint Directors uh, Committee on Climate Change will interview each of the responsible ministers in September, October on their performance and adherence to their own sectoral ceiling. So, you know, they do get called up before the headmaster, I could say, once a year. And of course, our report feeds into that process and gives the Joint Directors Committee, you know, the scientific analysis that they can use uh, as part of that discussion. So that's the annual cycle, if I could say. Secondly, the recommendations that we make, in many instances, they actually feed into the Climate Action Plan that's generally adopted towards the end of the year. And that's an important influencer, if I could say, in terms of making a change. I have to ask, Mary, because you've been working in this area for such a long time and you're such a respected voice um, nationally on these issues. I'm hearing, anecdotally, fair enough, but, but I'm hearing more and more people saying to me, do you know what? I'm done with the news. I'm done with listening to radio. It's too negative. It's just for my own well-being. I need to switch myself off from it. But I suppose I'm passionate about being informed about what's going on in the world. And it does strike me as a worrying development, which seems over the last five years or so to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. How important is it as citizens that we are informed of the difficulties we're facing in terms of climate change? It's essential that people are informed. Uh, You know, information is is the basis of how we live our lives. So it is essential that people are informed. But I do take the point that, you know, we have seen records for high temperatures. We've seen records for floods. We've seen records for all sorts of, you know, environmental changes over the last number of years. And they're getting worse. Every record three months later was something else. So, yes, the news is off-putting, certainly. And I can understand that people are saying, well, in my life, you know, I I don't really see the heat waves and I don't see the floods or whatever. So part of the challenge, and this is really a challenge that the government has, is to, to, yes, inform people. We shouldn't absolutely hide this from anybody. But we have to make the transition understandable. We have to Mm. make the transition to a more sustainable uh, economy and society. we have to make it available to everybody so that everybody can make the choices that make sense. It's not a question of forcing people to do this or forcing people to do that. It's, it's really about being clear. We have, a, we have a challenge. We've got to deal with it. These are the things we can do to deal with it. We're going to help you in this way. It might be a, a grant aiding system or we're going to adjust the rules here or we're going to do something else there. And it's important that people then feel that they can take those options on board and build them into their own lives. So it's not a question of beating people up on this. This is a journey that we all have to make together. And, you know, there are, there are people, maybe like yourself and myself, who are very into it, who understand <clears throat> the issue and how to deal with it, and others who can afford to pay for the things. Very good. Do it. But in this process, we have to bring everybody with us. We cannot afford to leave anybody behind. So that's where government policy is hugely important. We have to ensure that we outreach to everybody and that we support everybody in this transition so that we don't have corners of the country where people feel isolated and left out.
Well, Mary Donnelly, Chairperson of the Climate Change Advisory Council, thank you very much for joining us once again on Let's Go Green. Thank you very much. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, since I spoke to Mary Donnelly, the chair of the Climate Advisory Council there in, for Let's Go Green, it has been announced that Ireland has seen the wettest July on record. And across the globe, July has been the hottest July on record. So, It's clear that the climate is changing. We will all have opinions on what is causing that, but the science would tell us that it is the impact that we as a society are having on the globe, the consequences for how we live our lives and our day-to-day actions. And that is very stressful and very challenging to deal with. And in particularly... It's very hard to be considering making these changes, which if you take home heating or transport or just day to day living, it means that we need to spend a bit of money to to make a few more habits. And that can be really difficult, particularly here in Ireland, when we are all feeling the cost of living crisis. So I thought it was time that we ask Liam White from the Midlands103.com newsroom to take to the streets of the Midlands to find out what what you're thinking on the matter and how concerned are you when it comes to climate change. Here's what people had to say to Liam. So what's your opinion on climate change as we speak? I think we need to do something really uh, drastic about it, as you can see, with all the fires in Europe and Ireland. We're one of the worst uh, people at it as well. Well, I would say definitely this year, more concerned than I ever was. We're seeing huge extremes of heat in some parts of Europe and other parts of the world. And in Ireland, we had continuous heat for May and June. And we've had a dreadful summer, even though it's been very warm and muggy. So I think it's something everyone needs to take really seriously. Well, I do agree the climate is changing completely. I mean, it's all gone wrong altogether. I mean, we've been flooded, parts of the world have been burnt. So. How do you feel it affects you personally? Well, I think that it affects us all personally, and I think we all have to think of what the future of the planet is for our own children and for their children, what, what kind of a planet we're going to have. I think that uh, there's solid evidence that there are uh, many creatures have actually gone into extinction because of uh, climate change and the way we live uh, our lives. Do you feel there's things that people could do differently at home to, to affect it? Oh, I think we could all do a lot of things. As you can see, I'm a bus driver and we have buses and they're all giving off diesel fumes every day of the week. I would like to be electric if we could. What impact do you think it makes on you? Well, long term in terms of heating a house and maintaining fossil fuels and finding other forms of energy, it's going to have a huge impact on all of us with our homes and how we live our lives. Do you feel that um, a lot of people at the moment aren't too concerned with climate change due to maybe financial problems or stuff like that? Well, I don't think most people believe there is such a thing. That's just my opinion. They just think this has happened every so many years, so it's one of those things. 
And again, just to reiterate those words from Mary Donnelly, it is important that we stay tuned in to what is happening in the world so that we as individuals can make more informed choices. But we're turning to matters upcycling next and Joanne Condon, influencer, Instagrammer extraordinaire and now author, will be giving us some tips and tricks on how we can make the most of our furniture that we already have or even upcycling some furniture from well-meaning relatives or thrift shops. We'll be back after the break. Midlands 183. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you're enjoying the programme so far today. Well, as you know, I've been doing a bit of a shout out over the past couple of weeks looking for upcyclers and the first person I want to speak to is a woman who knows basically everything there is to know about flipping furniture. Now, you might have heard of house flipping where you buy a budget house, you renovate it and you sell it in the hopes of making a massive profit. Well, Joanne Condon is the expert when it comes to furniture flipping. Joanne, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, Joanne, what is furniture flipping? Is it upcycling in the hopes of making a profit or is it just upcycling it because you really need something nice at home and that thing's been looking a bit shabby in the corner that could do with a bit of a brush up? I think it's a bit of both. Like usually what, like when I started off, I did it. Uh, I was like furniture flipping, upcycling furniture um, in my own house with my own pieces. And then I was like, I wonder, could I make a profit out of it? Which you can. So like, I think it's definitely both. It's furniture flipping and upcycling furniture to me is this is the same thing. It's just furniture flipping, I suppose, is a trendy word um, right now. But it's definitely the same thing as upcycling to me anyway. <laughs> Okay, so like, look, let's be honest about it. Over the past couple of years, because our lives have changed so much, an awful lot of us are looking at our homes and thinking, do you know what? I'm spending more time here now because of, you know, circumstances have changed. We don't need to go back into it. Um, But I'm looking around the house and there are things that I kind of don't quite like, but I don't necessarily have the budget to go out and buy new. And of course, us being an environmental show, we always like, you know, reuse, recycle and all of that here. But it can be, I think, like, I've I've no fear when it comes to putting paint in a wall because the way I look at it is it's like dyeing my hair. If I don't like it, I can fix it relatively easily. You know, you get another, you go back to the hairdresser or you put another lick of paint on and you start again. Um, whereas furniture for me has always had kind of the fear bit because I feel like, God, if I touch this now, it could be a nice piece of wood and I could totally ruin this. So what's your advice for people like looking to start off? What would be a, a good way to start? I think getting something small, just like a lot of the times people like want to paint their kitchens or in their mind, they're like, I really want to paint that uh, dresser that's in my hallway or something like that. But if you start small and not worry about what you're working on and just like try and enjoy it, I think that's a, a huge thing as well. People want to get things done fast. They want to they want to change things really quickly. But uh, if you don't have like the basic knowledge, sometimes that can be a disaster. So starting with something small, like always do your research on your on the steps to take when you're when you're doing something. And like I know there's loads of different conflicting research or different conflicting like projects out there and people's advice can be different. But if you just like something that's not meaningful to you, something that's mm. small to experiment on, because some of the times 
the best way to learn is through your mistakes. I know that myself, like the best way I've learned any lessons I've learned is through making those mistakes. And then like, if you make them bad enough, you'll never make them again, which is always a good thing. I don't think it's a fail. You know, like I always think there's a lesson in something as well. So I like I would have um, a piece of furniture where I would try loads of different things on. Like it's wrecked because I've been experimenting on it the whole time. But the beauty of that is I can always strip that back, start afresh. Like, you know, it's the same as your as your walls, you know, like um, you can always like like pull it back. If you paint something and then in a while you're like, I wish I had kept that timber, you can always strip it back. Do you know, like, so okay. it's never a waste. So either you're learning something and then you like even when you've painted, you're learning how to strip something back as well, which is good as well. Like it's all I don't think you can go too far wrong unless you like rip something apart, you know, that kind of way. So start small. So perhaps that dresser that granny has handed down through the generations is not the piece to start on because, you know, someone might be annoyed if you wreck it. They might love it if it's a great, successful job. But if you wreck it, you're going to be in the bad book. So start off with something small. Like I know when I bought my own home and I was dying, I was watching you on Instagram. I was dying to do stuff because people know me and they know I love color. And, you know, and I I just I I really had the itch. But I didn't really have the courage to get started. So I bought a pair, I bought a step stool from Ikea. And, you know, I was like, look, it cost me a couple of euro. And I know it's anti what I'm saying in the show about reuse, recycle. But it was a good way to get my confidence up. Yes. So like if, if you went into a charity shop, like a, there's always little stools and chairs in there. But they always come in handy. You know, like a stool is a plant pot stand. Uh, I have a, a, like an old, like it's a child's chair actually in my pantry because it's it's just such a handy size to stand on and stuff. So like and small like that, you'll always use it in, in in some sense, whether that's to experiment on or to use. Like I always like change the function of something as well. So as I said, like a small stool can be a plant pot. It, it can be loads of different things. Um, so it's like, I suppose once you start upcycling, your mind opens a little bit to functionality too, as well as, Maybe this could be painted. Maybe I could use a stencil. Maybe I could, you know, change it up completely. But it's great fun once you start. It's addictive, isn't it? It's so addictive. It's it's so addictive. Like I will go to my friend's house and I just I can't switch off. I'm like that dresser would be lovely painted. Oh, they've painted that stool. But it's 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 a great creative process too. You know, to see the potential in something that someone else mightn't see the potential in. And. Like it is important, we should say like safety first, because, you know, if you're working with paints Mm -hmm. or stripping things back or even sanding, like I learned uh, through my own errors that a face mask is not just for COVID. (laughs) There there are, (laughs) you know, that you you should be, we, we should be protecting our lungs. We should be protecting our skin that, you know, those safety pieces are very important, aren't they? Oh, so important. Like you, like w- with an old piece of furniture and you're sanding it back, you don't, you don't know what's on it. Like, so always wear, uh, I, I, I have a mask that has filters in it that I can change out the filters. Like something like that is so, so important. Like, and I think with upcycling as well, you don't need expensive things. Like, you know, like you could get them, you can get a, a, a mask for like a, a good quality mask for 10. You could or you could get one for w- one euro, like if you just wanted to start off. But all those small little things, it's just kind of getting into the routine of it as well, of like protecting yourself. There's brilliant products out now as well. Like all the paints I use would be low VOC. So they're all um, 
water based they're easy to use they're good for the environment as well like in comparison to those oil based paints that we used years ago mm-hmm. so like even with paint stripper there's eco-friendly stripper now where you don't have to uh wear gloves and you don't have to be in a well-ventilated area but it still does the job like i've, I've tested a few of them so um yeah like they're I think just a few simple precautions, like anything that you're doing, you know, like make sure, like, you know, when you're cooking, like you're, if you're cooking with a pot, you won't have the handle out. You know, like you always push it back in. It's just those small little things to protect yourself. But um, yeah, it's not, it's, it's very simple once you, once you get into it, I think. And look, and I and I mentioned that because I, I like, you know, in my own case, my enthusiasm got the better of me. And next thing, all of a sudden I was coughing and spluttering, going, what's wrong with my asthma? Why am I? Oh, yeah. Chemicals. Right. OK. Should have should have been wearing a face mask. Um, so like the other thing then, of course, is that regardless of what you're upcycling and let's say we're starting off on, on, on something small, something that doesn't have sentimental values, giving it a good clean like how important is that? Because, you know, you can't just stick paint straight down. You, you have to make sure that there's a surface that it'll bond to. Yeah. Cleaning, like cleaning is a, your first thing that you do. Even it, sometimes even when you buy a piece of orange pine, you're like, oh, it doesn't really need a clean. But then when you clean it, you're like, like so much give off that. But a lot of the times as well, especially with older piece of older pieces of furniture, like you know, they've been maybe they've been in a kitchen or in an environment where there's dirt and grime building up. So if you go in with your sander to sand that back, it clogs your sandpaper and then it wastes your sandpaper and then like you're wasting money as well. So cleaning is so important. And a lot of the times I always see people sanding first and then cleaning, but you should always clean first and then sand because you're getting like your sanding job will be a lot easier once it's it's cleaned properly. Um, but you'll be surprised what comes off when you think when you think it looks fine. <laughs> um yeah. And like and like I suppose it, it's it's like anything, like especially furniture that's been, you know, it might be sitting there for quite some time. And yeah, it gets the dust or that. But, you know, we don't necessarily always have the time to give things a deep clean. So if if you're painting on to dirt, it's going to chip away eventually. It's it's not going to to stick properly. Is that correct? Yeah. It'll act like a block, like it'll like it'll just like act as a block and no matter what you do and, and it, it kind of wrecks your finish as well like there's like dirt and grime underneath your hair paints you know um but it will like grime like is like will totally block like a primer or even a primer that says you don't need to sand mm-hmm. like it'll block and you know and now i'm a big believer in sanding no matter what but um like it will it, i and sometimes as well sometimes when you're painting um a piece of furniture they're like um there'll be a layer of wax on it or something like that. You know, like a Mexican pine piece will have a layer of wax and that has to come off. And it's the same with the grime. Like that sticky stuff will just, nothing will will hold on to it. Like so, uh, a really good clean is so important. Um, And like when you get a good cleaner, like sugar soap, that does most of the work for you. Like that'll take that grime away for you. Like so it's not, you know, you, you don't have to like go in and do a really deep scrub or anything like that because there's loads of products now that will help like take a lot of that work away from you and like like sugar soap is one of those great old things that our our grandparents would have used but they used it because it was it was just one of those things that works for everything yeah it works for so so many things like it takes a lot of the grime away from stuff um like it takes wax off things it it does it does loads it like it's it's a really really good basically it's not expensive like it's it's really 
like cheap, you know. Um, and you can get it in three different forms. Like you can get it in, that's where it got its name. When it's like a powder form, it looks like sugar. And then you can get it in a condensed version. Then you get it in a spray version. But um, it's really easy to use and it, it cleans a, a, a loads of stuff. What about then, like I know we said don't tackle something with sentimental value unless you really know what you're doing. But what about pieces like I know myself, like I love the whole mid-century modern thing. And um, yeah. there are pieces now, they're, they're, they're a vintage shop, shops making a small fortune off of all mm-hmm. of these desires that we have. So, do you know, is there a way of knowing, um, like I know, I know in theory you can, you can tackle anything, but is there a way mm-hmm. of knowing whether or not your piece is worth something and might actually be better to go to someone to sell it to go to somebody else's home where it'll be appreciated as it is. Because I know there will be people listening to this segment going, no, don't paint wood. You're destroying it. It's hard. Like, you know, it's an awful thing to do. And there'll be people who shout at the radio listening to this lot going, no, 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 don't do it. Those things are worth money. They're, they're pieces of art in their own right. Yeah. Like I agree with that in one sense too. And like, like not everyone likes the same thing. Like, and I, I agree with that as well. But there is there is loads of times that I have gone and I've seen furniture and I'm like, I love that, but I wouldn't paint it. So I'm not going to buy it because like, I, I, w- I would paint everything. Now, I do like mid-century stuff. And I I um, I did buy a chair one time, um, an air call chair, and I, it was painted and I unpainted it. Like I stripped it back to the beer. I was I always say I uncycled it, but I, I just stripped it back to the the bare wood because I, I like I just thought God it's a gorgeous chair that wood I knew the wood was going to be lovely underneath it um like I suppose with research as well when like I'm obsessed with furniture so I'm always looking at books uh mid mid century books so I can spot those pieces really easy when I'm out and about um anything that I feel like a lot of work has gone into like any of those antique pieces that have inlay in them and stuff I know there's a lot of work in that I'm not. I'm not going to pay that. Like I'd hold my hands up and like I wouldn't touch it. But um, uh, there is a really good app, uh, Google uh, Pixel, where you can. It's like it's like Google, but you're searching an image, so you can take an image at any stage. Um, and I would like you could if like if you didn't know whether it was an expensive piece of furniture or not, you can just take a picture on Google and it will search that image. So it'll take if you take a picture of a chair. It, it will search that chair on Google and then a load of it will come up and loads of information about that piece will come up as well. Okay. Um, but but it's really, really handy. I'm finding it really useful for maybe things that I'm not sure are worth money or not. And then like, you know, sometimes you Google it and it's, you can you can buy for £800 or something in some vintage site in the UK. So like, um, that's really, really handy. So it's it's Google Lens. Google Lens or Google Pixel. Um, you just download the app and it's really easy to use. Okay. Um, but sometimes as well, like I have saved pieces of furniture that um were being cut up for firewood. Like that's a lot mm. worse than painting. At least when you paint it, you can strip it back. Um, and like if someone's putting it into a charity shop or even if they're going to a recycling centre and the recycling centre takes it rather than um disposing of it. Like, I don't know if painting that to me isn't a sin. Do you know, like it's it's. It, it, no, it's gone that far no but someone doesn't want it like and if, if you want it and you want to paint it like it's that's fine you know but well i i like when you're painting something you can always strip it back so i don't think you can go too far wrong okay 
Okay, okay. I, I think I think you've made your argument well there, Joanne. <laughs> and like, I am very conscious that like we're in the middle of a housing crisis, and getting a home of your own for our generation is a massive challenge. Um, mm. Then, if you're lucky enough to get that far, that you get the keys and you walk in the door, then you've got the job of finding the money to furnish it. Are we at a yeah. stage here in Ireland where you can go to uh, car boot sales and charity shops and maybe not buy everything for the house it, it, there it, or on the on, say, on the likes of Dundee or adverts or that or Facebook Marketplace? But like, I think I, and I, you're more you be on the lookout more than I would be. But it seems like mm. there are more and more options and more and more ways to furnish a house now without having to buy something new, that we could give things a second life. We would seem to have more marketplaces for these things. Definitely. When I started upcycling, there was no secondhand furniture shops. Like I, I got an odd few things in the car boots, but, the, but now they're they're everywhere. Like there's a lot of uh, charity shops as well um, uh, selling furniture too. So it's, it's definitely a lot more accessible um, to find things. And you can find some amazing things that are way better than anything you could ever buy new. Like you're buying, you know, really good craftsmanship. Like if you just have an eye for it, like if you love uh, like mid-century modern, like you said, there is loads of that out there. Now there's loads of uh, price really like expensive because it's in demand at the moment, but there's still uh, pieces that you can, you can pick up for really good value. And with a little bit of TLC are unbelievable. Like you, you can't buy that stuff now, you know? Um, so like there's like I, I think like if you don't have the money to buy something new, that doesn't mean that you can you have to compromise on style at all. Like you can you can still have something really stylish, really trendy, something that you absolutely love and that you will probably keep forever. Like, you know, rather than going out and buying something like flat pack. I know like is with flat pack, sometimes it is like uh, people are living in apartment blocks. They're going up four flights of stairs. So mm-hmm. like that's an easier option. They get. I totally get that. And not. I like. There is some pieces that are flat packed. That there is real wood and stuff like that. But, um, uh, like, but you can get some amazing pieces of furniture that are solid. That are made really well. Like I painted a, a, a kitchen chairs in a farmhouse. Um, a good few years ago now. But when I got them, they were forty years old like they were they were in that farmhouse for 40 years there wasn't they didn't wobble in any way they were absolutely perfect they were just they just needed a lick of paint do you know what i mean yeah like you can't buy that new now do you know like you like if you buy something new now you're usually if you buy a new piece of furniture now you you have to assemble something do you know like you have to put the legs on or you ha- like there there's always some bit of assembly like when you buy something new um well the majority of the time but um, you can buy some amazing things for for um really like little or no money. Like I feel like if I won the lotto, I'd still I I don't think I'd be buying new furniture. I, I still think I'd be looking for the old stuff because that's where like the character comes in. That's where your personality comes in as well. A nice little mix and match and stuff too is fab life. I think particularly at budget buying levels, 
Um, and I'm going to age myself when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Things aren't made as well as they used to be. So you're better no. off going to the charity shop, getting the dining table or whatever it might be that's a couple of decades old and giving it a new lease of life. Like it's better to, to do that for the environment, but also it lasts so much longer than something you, you pick up in oh, a budget. Now, I know there are high priced items and there are retailers that make really, really high quality furniture, particularly here in the Midlands. But if that's not in your budget, the the next best option is to buy furniture that was well made, but maybe in the 50s and 60s and not 2023. Yeah. And I find as well, some of that older stuff has this quirky little detail. Like only recently I saw a gorgeous pine kitchen table with a drawer, like with a drawer, like underneath the table, let's say, like two little drawers are either end. I was like, oh, that is unreal. Or, or like, I think that that table was 50 euro. And I was like, that, that is an unbelievable table for that price and like what it was made from as well. I was like, you know, it, 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 like it's rare and to come across now like in just a run-of-the-mill furniture shop. But, um, and as well, like, do you know those old wardrobes where like they have the labels of like what everything is and they have like um, a little rack for ties. And mm. I was like, everything was thought about, you know, a little rack for your shoes. Like, you know, like where you didn't ever, it keep it nearly more organized as well. But there's just all those little elements. Like you could pick up a wardrobe like that for under hundred euro. Like to buy that, you'd never buy that with those details now. So all those small little things. And I think the other thing is that I, like, and I like and I've actually said it to two different people on either side of my family. If you if you ever don't want that, I'll take it. Don't bin it. Like, <laughs> don't be afraid to like I know because there's there's like there's a sofa that uh is is pride of place in, in my uncle's house, which is it's beautiful. My grandfather bought it, I think my mum says back in the 60s. But like I it would tear me apart to see that go to landfill because it's it's not only is it sentimentally um you know special to me, like I'm five foot it's really hard to get a sofa that I can lie down that's long enough for me to lie down on like it's stylish it's quirky you know so and like there are people who have items of furniture cluttering up their houses that actually your aunts and uncles might be only too delighted to say do you know what I've been dying to get rid of that but I didn't have the heart to and if it's staying in the family you know actually take it away I'd be only delighted so so don't be afraid to ask around if people like particularly when you're starting out and you're trying to furnish a house you know I always find ask around see if there's something people don't want it might not be your style now but you can make it your style if you do you know maybe if you pick up Joanne's book and uh, learn a few tips and tricks yeah exactly yeah see you later Joanne give me the plug you know yeah I like that Um, but uh, I had a friend of mine actually that used to like <laughs> post-it notes and she used to be like if you're giving this away please give it to me and she used to sign her name and she put it at the back of in people's houses like <laughs> pop it in the back on pieces of furniture she got some amazing things eventually like you know because some of them like I, I don't want that in the post-it note at the back I thought that was really clever I don't I don't know that would come across as being a bit passive aggressive now to be honest I'm not sure my uncles would appreciate that but I but I get the sentiment you know better stay in the family than, than go to landfill well Joanne Condon if you find her on Instagram I love your Instagram page I have to say Joanne it's full of colour and inspiration and Joanne's book is Furniture Flips Joanne where can we pick up a copy? Um, so you can pick it up on uh, my website or 
Um, it's in some bookshops. Uh, if you look up furniture flips online, there's it'll come up. There's loads of different uh, places that you can purchase it. And Joanne is very active on, on Instagram. So if you're if you're struggling to find it, look up Joanne Condon. It's it's all one word on Instagram and you will find her there. And I do believe on occasion you have workshops as well, Joanne. So if you're maybe nervous of starting, you, you might keep an eye out for those. Yeah, the workshops, like usually people come and they're afraid when they come and then they go home. And then like the next week they send me pictures of their kitchen. Do you know what I love that? Do you know like so uh, it's it, and it's it's a brilliant day because everyone's chatting and everyone's getting a bit braver as the day goes on. Like it's so if you if you um were ever nervous like a workshop with anyone really would like um mm-hmm. definitely give you a bit more confidence. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show, Joanne. Um, and thank you so much for all your 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 advice for our Let's Go Green listeners. Thanks a million for having me on, Ashley. We'll be back after the break. Midlands 183. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And we're coming to the end of this week's episode. As always, thanks to my guests on this week's show. Information is power and while July has been a stark awakening for many parts of the globe, as Marie Donnelly, chairperson of the Climate Advisory Group, said earlier... We need to stay informed in order to be able to get to grips with our changing climate. There's so many campaigners, activists around the world that have been calling for action for decades. And in the main, we have to admit that the Western world has turned a blind eye. This week, I can't help but think of the parallels with the late, great Sinead O'Connor. I feel very lucky to have been a child of the 80s and 90s in a house where her vocals were frequently played at top volume with us loudly singing along. Some of my favourite memories are of my dad belting out Nothing Compares to You on car journeys and while he had a, a loud voice, he was not a bel canto artist. Much has been said in recent days about how prophetic Sinead O'Connor's protest turned out to be. She's been quite rightly credited with giving young women of their time a voice of raising awareness around issues most of us would have preferred stayed under the proverbial carpet. So perhaps this time that we start listening to climate activists around the globe and take action now, instead of sadly reminiscing in years to come about how right they were and sure, weren't they very brave to speak out. My thanks as always to those who contributed to this week's Let's Go Green. Please do get in contact with me through the on-air team section of the midlands103.com website. And this week, to honour the late, great Sinead O'Connor and all those who were brave enough to protest around the world, I'm going to leave you with the 1990 classic Mandika. Have a great week, stay safe and I'll be back in a fortnight's time with Let's Go Green. Midlands 103.